Hello and welcome to this episode of Expose, the podcast that exposes ideas and inspiration for UK businesses to stand out and succeed. Each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest who will reveal their tips and techniques to help your business thrive. I'm Matthew Larkham, a multi-award winning entrepreneur, best-selling author and the founder of B2B Expos, the UK's fastest growing business to business network. Joining me today is Pam Warren, a professional keynote speaker and author who became known in the UK as the lady in the mask after receiving severe burn injuries in a major train crash almost 20 years ago. Her core message of never give up is a strong theme in everything she now does, including her keynote talks and workshops. So welcome to the show, Pam. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Now, this is a bit strange because most people that I've had on the show so far, I've actually met and I know. Yeah. And this is the first time that we've, we've met. So you, I'm a complete stranger to you. a complete stranger, <laughs> but I'm sure by the end of this, we're all going to become the very best of friends. Um, and it was actually producer Mark that said we should get you on the show because you've got a great story to share and also the stuff that you're doing now. I think, and the stuff that we can get out of you in terms of the, the leadership training and stuff that you're doing will be quite good for our listeners to try and Again, hone in I will on some do my of those things. So, so I think for the people listening, give us a little bit of, uh, give us a, <clears throat> an overview of your story and a little bit about your background. A potted history. Yeah, go on. Okay, so um, I started off in working for an insurance company. This was in my teens, straight out of school, if you like. Um, and I started off as a receptionist and worked my way up through the administration side and left that to set up my own company, still in financial services, but I became a pensions advisor because I personally love pensions, although <laughs> most people just look at me quizzically. Oh, Pam, I haven't even got a pension yet. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, because of the type of person I am, it wasn't good enough for me just to be a good pensions advisor. I needed to be the best. So I was setting exams and one day was catching a train into London to go on a training course. And unfortunately the train I was on hit a train coming out of Paddington at over 130 miles an hour. Wow. I was in the carriage directly behind the engine on mine and it erupted into a fireball. So um, unfortunately 31 people did die. And I should have been the 32nd, I was so severely burnt. Um, but for whatever reason, I survived. I, you know, the rescuers were brilliant. I got rushed to hospital, was in a coma for three, three weeks. And when I came out of the coma, I think it hit me quite quickly that my life, as I knew it before, was over. Yeah. Um, they had told me already it would take me years to recover. And in the end, it did take me 10 years to get better. Um, so there was no way I could continue my company I couldn't continue my work so for a long time it was just about recovery and operations and dealing also with post-traumatic stress disorder obviously when you've been through something like that unfortunately you do get PTSD Um, so coming to terms with that but after 10 years I then sat up and thought well I'm still here okay my health will never be the same again but I can't sit around doing lunch or not doing anything so I started casting around to work out what I could do. And purely by accident, um, I looked at professional speaking because I'd been asked so many times to come in and talk about the train crash yeah, and what share happened. your story, yeah. Yeah, so I did start off down that route, but again, I suppose that attitude of 
not just being good at it, but wanting to be really good. I didn't jump into it straight away. I did an apprenticeship. I had a mentor who was a professional speaker who'd been doing it for 30 years. And he took me under his wing and then trained me. Trained me how to develop a story, pull out messages from it, make it something. Because I always thought when you stood up to speak that you were telling your story, Mm. but it's not. When you stand up to speak, you have to think about the audience and what they want. So they've come here to listen to you. So what is it that you are there to give them? And that's very much how you craft a talk and even a workshop, um, which is why it's so important to have that initial conversation to work out what your customer, client or event wants from you. So after the train crash, it was quite a, it was quite a long time before you decided that you wanted to go down the route of being a keynote speaker. Yes. And so you said it started, it happened by accident. What actually happened and how did you, how did you get involved? Because a lot of people uh, start off, they've got, they've got their story to share and they'll go out because we see it all the time at our business shows. A lot of people, you know, they want to be a keynote speaker, but they've, they don't actually have a story to share. So how did you craft all of that and how did you get your apprenticeship in as a keynote speaker? Um, Well, for me, the first step was to join something called the Professional Speaking Association. They have branches all around the country, and my closest one was Thames Valley. Um, So I joined them, and through them I met speakers, and some of them were people like me that were starting off, but some of them had been doing it, as I said, for, for years. And it was through them that I met the guy that would then become my mentor. Mm -hmm. And I just asked him, I said to him, I do have a story to tell, I was lucky enough to have one, um, but I don't know how to put it across properly. And we spent mm, a good nine months meeting up and then actually picking away almost sentence by sentence my story and then pulling out messages and then he helped me recraft it. So for people that are thinking about going down the route of becoming a keynote speaker, the stuff that you have learned yourself from doing this from scratch, what are the techniques that you would share to those people that are looking for that advice? Okay, well, first of all, if you think keynote speaking is easy, it's not. (laughs) Secondly, if you're going into it because you think keynote speakers make lots of money, get rid of that idea. (laughs) Um, you have to be extremely good to make a living from it. Um, However, if you're going in it because you genuinely want to help other people and pass on a message that would be useful for other people, then you've got your first building block there. So that's the first thing that you need. You have to have a core message and a purpose for wanting to to go out on the stage and, and share that. You have to be certain within yourself as to why you are doing it. And there's no point in lying to yourself Mm. because when you stand up and speak, you connect with your audience, even though they might be a long way away from you, they're going to know what you were doing, as in, are you genuine? Are you being authentic? Do you really want to help that person? Um, And if you've got that feeling of, I just want to do it for the money, and I'm only saying that because I see a lot of speakers that do. Yeah, yeah, and we see it it all the time as well. You can see that in their Mm. eyes. And people don't realise how much that conveys to an audience. And then it doesn't matter what you come out with. You could be turning lead into gold. Nobody will take your message on because they know that you're not authentic. And how important is it to have a personal story when you're delivering a keynote talk? Is that important? 
For a keynote, yes. Um, I think, again, I've heard a lot of speakers. That was part of the training, is you listen to an awful lot of speakers. One of the best sources is obviously TED Talks. Mm -hmm. You can get that free on the internet. Um, And yes, people have lots of different stories. Everyone's got a story when you think about it. Whether they are stories that people would pay to hear something different. Um, Unfortunately, I don't want to belittle something like cancer, but you do get an awful lot of people on the circuit who've survived cancer. Well, yes, that's fabulous and that's brilliant, but although their story's good and they have a message, they need to almost deconstruct that Mm. and pull something out. So instead of the focus being on something like an illness, the focus is on something different, something like uh, positivity or how you battle your way through these problems or even going through some of the dark times that you've been through because people will identify with things like that. So it's important to really have a niche, especially if you can, you can see that other speakers are talking about similar subjects because obviously you had quite a, a unique story to go and share. <laughs> I, was, I was sort of given a rather unique story, wasn't I? Yeah. But yes, I mean, it counts for any business, I think. Everyone needs a unique selling point. It's a much overused phrase but, but I don't think true. people appreciate what it actually means. Mm. And it means sitting down for quite a long time and really working out what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what makes you different. And that's the same with speaking as it is with accountancy or, I don't know, you know, any workshop people or media software people. It doesn't matter what your business is. Those fundamentals are still key to any business. And as a professional speaker, how do you prepare before you, you, you go on stage or you stand up in front of an audience? Because a lot of people obviously get nervous. You know, what techniques do you have that you can share that, that, that help you manage, with, manage that situation? Okay. Well, um, for myself, I am not a nervous person. So that helped enormously to start off with. I always do get nervous on stage because I want to do a good job. Yeah. But right before I go on stage, I go away and I move from crowds or wherever I am and I go to a quiet room just to get some peace and quiet. And then this will start making you laugh. I then do breathing exercises, but also because I don't want my lips sticking to my teeth, you know when you get nervous, your lips, um, you then have to go through your vowels. But you accentuate them. So you stand in front of a mirror and you're literally going, A, E, I, O, U. Just wait for somebody to burst in on the (laughs) (laughs) But you just have to keep repeating that. And one of the most powerful things I've ever found, and this, you don't have to be standing up and speaking, but if you're feeling a bit, "Mm, you know, I'm so nervous, I don't know what to do. You do the Wonder Woman pose. You stand up straight, you put your hands on your hips, and you strike the pose. And you'd be surprised how much adrenaline yeah. seeps up and how good you feel. So, yes, those would be my top tips. And if you, do you remember the first time that you, you did your first professional paid keynote talk? Do you remember that? I do. And I will tell you now, it didn't go quite to plan. So that's another part, part of the learning, <laughs> isn't it? You know, it is. You're, you're... Um, I think the thing I learned there was even when it doesn't go to plan, keep going, because they don't know what the plan was. So as long as you can recover quite quickly, 
they won't know that you've missed out a big chunk of your talk or that you've deviated off into an area. You can always pull it back again because they weren't there when you did your notes and they weren't there when you were sat there thinking about how you're going to structure your talk. Absolutely, absolutely. And it goes back to the theme of when you always, you said earlier, you never give up. Correct. You know, so how... So as a your keynote speaker and you also now do leadership training, is that right? Yes, that's right. I um, don't talk about the train crash very often anymore. Um, so how long ago was that now? That was... It was 19 years ago. Right. So yes, next year we'll be coming up for the 20th anniversary. Uh, can't believe it's that long. Has it gone quick? It has gone quick. But also I'm finding in my audiences there's quite a few people that were too young to remember. To know about it, right. So I'm quite relieved personally because going over the train crash again and again and again gets a bit tiring and a bit boring, to be honest, for me. Yeah. Um, and you'd have to keep that up, wouldn't you? Every time you, you're telling the story, you'd have to say, because you're telling somebody that's not heard it, Yeah. as if it's the first time that you're saying it. With, you know. But I came up with a trick to get around that, which was um, I now have a three-minute introductory video that right. is shown before I stand on stage, and that gives people a synopsis of who I was, what happened, and how I came through it, and that saves me having to then speak about it. Right. So I can then use the main body of my talk to talk to people about tools and strategies and things that I've come across that they can then use in their own lives because they may not have come across them before. Yeah. Um, so that's really what I've been able to pull from it. And so after all of, the, all of that in your, in your past, you're, you've got, you're now doing your leadership training mm-hmm. workshops? Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, I've sort of, because I, I, I'm always evolving. And one thing I realised was with the unique skills from what happened to me, a lot of it was to do with coping with change. And of course, in today's world, things are changing so quickly. Oh, it's scary, isn't it? In, and that happens from the biggest businesses you can think about to the smallest businesses you can think about. And having the resilience to cope with that change and actually look forward to the change, that's something I've learned because of my experiences. Mm. So now I'm passing that on to leaders but in such a way that they can then use it with managing their business or their teams. And also coming up with ideas for them, such as if you don't like a direction you're going in, then rather than waiting for a change to happen, because that's very passive, create the change yourself. Yeah. Make the decision, just grit your teeth and jump. Yeah. Because nine times out of ten, it works out perfectly fine. And quite often, five years down the line, you'll be looking back going, why didn't I do that earlier? So it's just not being frightened of change or upheaval and embracing it and accepting what you can't change. Things like things that happen to you, that life throws at you, but also being able to turn it around to your advantage. And the leaders and the the business owners and managers that you work with at the moment, are they, can they adapt to the changes that you recommend, you know, or are they stuck in their ways? Because I imagine that there's a lot of people, especially in the financial sector that you work in, you know, are very much, this is how we've always done it and we'll continue to do it that way, even though it might not be the right, you know, path to go down. Yes. Um, what I, because of my background in financial services, it was a natural market for me to go into because I understand the language. Um, what I have discovered, having gone back into it, 
is that they are very much stuck several decades ago, unfortunately. So um, when you left the industry, it's almost, it's almost exactly the same, is it? Or? It's almost the same, except there's far more regulation. There's right, far more yeah. red tape and bureaucracy. But the people that are now at the top, the leaders, have tended to come through that system that I did. So they're not as comfortable with change as they could potentially be. And I also think that today's market, the way that consumers purchase or consumers view what they want mm-hmm. is very different to how it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And I think the insurance industry particular and the banking sector have been a bit slow at adapting to that. And they also think technology is the answer, which is not right. always. So what is the answer? If you're, if you're a leader and you're thinking about how can you, you know, take your business to the next level, whatever that their goal might be, especially because a lot of people that listen to this are small business owners, so they might have a, a few people that work with them or in their company. What sort of leadership techniques and skills that you help develop or train that they can actually take and use in their own business? Okay, right, well, the key for any business really is relationship. And that's relationships with your customers, yes, but also relationships with your staff, if you have them. As a leader, you can't be dictatorial. Some people think you go in, you give orders and just expect people to get on with it. You don't get very good productivity that way. Nor can you be their mate. You can't go down the pub with them and get drunk and then fall over because you won't get the respect from them. So the middle line for any leader is to be inspirational, to sell an idea that the staff then get excited about and the customers are excited about, but also then being able to translate that vision into mobilising your staff or your business to then deliver what your vision was and then effectively bringing people on. So again, clients, customers and staff should be able to take what you have provided them and use them for themselves. So you're mobilizing them as well. And that really, to me, is a sign of a good leader. And the the program that I actually um, go out and instruct people on, that the one I've got is um, from a firm called Uspire Group. And that was based on 20 years research. And right. that research was with um, leaders that have consistently outperformed their competitors but they all have the same characteristics. And it's those characteristics, that relationship, I think is the most important thing in any business moving forward. Because there is a difference, isn't there, between a a manager and a leader? Because there might be some people that are managers and they're very good at managing a a project or a small team, whatever it may be. But then you've got leaders. Yes. And they're completely different, aren't they? Yes. A manager is, um, I would say, tends to be far more transactional. So, um, yes, you do say, this is a job that needs to be done. These are the steps you need to do them. Please get on and do it. Reviewing the results, whatever it may be. Yes. A leader has a similar role, but a leader has to be far more inspirational. So they have to have a big vision. If you haven't got a vision, what are you aiming for Mm. for, with your company? They have to be able to translate that vision. So that's where, I suppose, the word is transformational. They have to be transformational. 
they want to take where they are now and rather than accept the status quo or be scrubbing around trying to keep up with just staying still they're always looking for the way to transform themselves to the next level and then the next level and the next level. And they also help to bring the people that they're working with with them, don't they? Yes. Some of the best leaders actually through the research um, had people within their teams that overtook them. Really? That then became great leaders themselves. And that to me is a sign of a superb leader. That they they enable people that much, they empower them that much that they then, yes, they may move on, but that shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. That person can actually surpass that leader because otherwise how a business is going to grow. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So can anyone be a leader? I think so. If you've got the right mindset, if you're somebody who's quite happy to go into work, do a job, get paid and go home to your family, and there's nothing wrong with that, and have a sort of more relaxing lifestyle, then fine. Mm. But I think um, a leader, it, it's almost, you're not off at any point. That doesn't mean you're taking your work home, but you're constantly leading. So you're leading at work, but you're also even at home, you were leading within that context. Yeah. Um, so it does depend on the individual, I think. Some people will be great at it, some people will be competent. Um, and some people will be unfortunately not very good at it. So there might be some people that are thinking I need to lead my small business or they've got a tribe of followers and customers that they want to sort of take on a journey. What advice would you give them in terms of how they can develop their leadership skills? Um, well, you could go and come on the leadership programme with come me. The, of course they can, there you go. There's a little plug for you, Pam. <laughs> um, but no, you can, I think really is to keep that key thought of relationships be genuine and be authentic. So be yourself. Be yourself quite, within your leadership. Key, that's hugely key. People don't buy from imposters. And you had to be yourself, because I was reading on some of your, your notes that you've got to be yourself, because you know, it'll pay you back in a surprising way, you said. Yes. <laughs> and how, so what happened, what happened to you? Because obviously you had to be yourself on stage. Because... I was speaking to Mark earlier, I said that I would, if something happened to me like what happened to you, and then I decided, I would probably go and hide somewhere, and not then go out on stage to go and share my story, right? So I think that's one of, that's quite inspirational. And obviously you've had to take leadership in your own life, mm-hmm. which is why you can obviously now go out and, and, and help and teach people your sort of techniques. So that's quite a big thing, isn't it? Yes, it's it's... How can I put this? It's one of those... I did hide for 10 years. Those 10 years of recovery, I was hiding and feeling sorry for myself. Um, But there does come a point, I suppose it's within my personality anyway, to stand up and say, okay, that's enough. What do I do now? Dust dust Um, yourself off and... And try again. And I didn't get it right. Before I became a speaker, I had tried two other occupations. I became an event manager for a while... Because I thought that would fit with my health because I can't work, you know, five days a week. My health just won't take it. Um, so, But I thought I'd be really busy, do an event, then I can rest afterwards. And it's not like that. I, so I now no. serve them for I could have told you that, <laughs> With event managers, I know. Now when I go to events and I see the event managers, I feel so sorry for them. Oh. I want to hug them all the time. Um, 
So, yes, you do go wrong, but the trick then is to stop and go, okay, that's not for me, I'm stopping that, I'm going to follow a different path. Mm. Um, But where I said about it comes back in surprising ways, don't always expect to get something for what you give. So, um, well, let's use today as an example. I came with, you asked me to come on your podcast. I had no expectations. Um, I'm not getting paid for doing so. But I thought, well, who knows? It sounds like fun. Let's give it a go. Exactly. And there may be something that comes of it or there may not be. But all it's taken is, you know, a little bit of time for me. So, and that's time I had free. And would you say that people need to take those opportunities when they... When life throws it at them. Always investigate. Yeah. I investigate every single opportunity that crosses my path. If it turns me on, then I'll go, yep, okay, I'll follow that. There we are, listeners. Did you hear that? (laughs) We obviously turned Pam on. That's why she's here. (laughs) (laughs) If it doesn't, then fine. At least I've looked at it. But you can't ignore opportunities because, again, you don't know where they're leading. And that's why I don't just speak. I'm doing two or three things all at the same time coupled with charity work. So I'm on the board of two charities because, again, it's that giving thing. If I I don't need to be paid all the time, I do need to earn a living, I need to pay my mortgage and bills the same as everyone else. Um, But it's just making that time to then give as well as receive. And that's why I said sometimes that pays you back in very surprising ways. So your leadership programmes... What do they look like? How long are they? You know, if, I, if somebody listening to this is thinking, oh, I could do with some help and assistance in, in, in developing me as a leader, what can they expect if they, they came on one of your courses? Well, the, um, the good news is it's very simple, as in there's only four steps. <laughs> the right. bad news is that once you get into the steps, they get quite complicated, and there's a lot deep, of self-examination, yeah. yes. Um, it is very much designed. It's not one of those workshops where you can do it in two days. What we tend to do is we work out a program specifically for each company, and then we work out how long that will take. But each, if you like, the four steps are done one at a time with time in between for them to be used and implemented, and then the results to be seen. Because there's no point in moving on to step two until you see that step one is working. Mm-hmm. And if step one's not working, we've then got a chance to go back in and, and tweak it and fi- figure out what's gone wrong. Um, so it, it can take months. It's, so not, it's, a so it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix, is it? No. no it's not an overnight It thing. is not a quick fix program. There are plenty of other quick fix programs out there, which I would suggest don't give you a return on investment. Um, ours is much more about changing leadership and to do that, that does take time. And we review and re- assess. And you have to do that over time. But there, again, the return on investment is productivity goes up, your profitability goes Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And also, it's that thing, isn't it? The time gives you the, the opportunity to get the experience. And it's the experience that then turns you into the expert, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And you're embedding. And once you start embedding the skills, that's when they become second nature. So then it doesn't really matter what industry you move into or change into, um, you're going to be able to use those skills in whatever it is that you're selling or, or trying to pass So on. your programme, is it aimed at people that are managers or, or leaders? Because you know, how leaders. do you identify yourself as, you know, do you, you know, because people say to me, oh, Matt, you're a leader. You, 
but I don't, I don't ever identify myself as a leader. I would never say to people, I'm a leader. So how would you know that you are a leader within your company? You know, what are the traits, what are the, the signs to, to help somebody understand that? You know, you or, or a manager that might think, you know, could I be a potential leader for the company? You know, you know. It's, it's difficult to quantify that because you can be a leader because you're at home. As in, I don't know, you could be a husband or wife, mm. but you're leading the family because you need to at that particular time. But then the next day, the other partner could be the leader because they need to lead at that particular point in time. Within a company, um, the leader tends to be the person who has to come up with the ideas, has to see them implemented, and is responsible for moving the company forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody that's got a role that sounds a bit like that, they've yeah, got the potential. Even a solopreneur, yeah. such as myself, such as yourself, um, we are leaders. Because, okay, we haven't got a team underneath us. Well, I have a virtual team, but um, we, we have to lead ourselves and we have to lead where our life is going. So it's very difficult to quantify who is a leader. It's more likely what, what are you responsible for doing for whatever the context is. And what would you say are the main benefits of actually going on a programme like this to actually invest in themselves as a leader? These, again, the skills we teach, because they're the fundamental and they're core skills, um, they are future-proofing you. So again, it doesn't matter what happens, mm. even if our world was changing every single day, you'll be able to cope because you've got these four skills. You'll, you'll spot how these skills apply to whatever change hits you. And to be honest, when I first came across the programme myself, I've already adopted a lot of the fundamental skills right, myself yeah. because I truly thought to my, wow, that's great. And my life has transformed within a year. So that's how you know when something has worked. And, and like you said, they're transferable skills. So, so once they've learned them and they've mastered them, you, they can use them in every aspect of their life, like you say. Yes. And this is also where it dovetails nicely in what I was talking about before, my change side. Um, it's because I love change and the people that have been through the programme, they fall in love with change. And then because you fall in love with change, you're looking for change all the Mm. time. And then you actually end up creating it. You create the change. You are creator of change because you will no longer accept the status quo. And you said earlier, you are a work in progress. (laughs) I will be a work in progress until the day I die. (laughs) There's a lot of work in progresses that I know as well. Um, so the, in terms of, I think the concept of the change is quite interesting because a lot of people don't like change. No. Resistant. It, there's that resistant, isn't there? So how can, how can somebody learn to, to, to get on with change? You know, or, or can they not if they're just not that type of person? It, depend, it depends how, how deep-seated the reason for that resistance is. Um, and you can quite often, if you talk to somebody one-to-one, you can quite often find a glimmer of what it may be. And sometimes it's totally unrelated or could have something to do with their childhood. Um, and then, to be honest, if it is something where I can see that's got more mm. de- deep-seated problems, then that would be when I say, have you thought about counselling or whatever, because we need to get this out, because um, I'm not qualified. So, yeah, it, it depends, but everyone thinks change is scary, and it's yeah, not. Yeah. It really isn't. 
And if you if you go back to what happened to me, when I woke up in that hospital bed, I knew I could not go back, or the life that I'd had before was over. I knew from the damage that was done to me and the doctors telling me what I was facing, there was no way I could return. And I wasn't scared. I was sort of sat there going, oh well, can't change can't, it. Can't, yeah, can't change what's <laughs> can't changed. Can't change the change. Um, so that sort of gives you a strength. Yeah. That really does give you the resilience to then go, okay, what's changed? Isn't that scary? Because we've changed. There's, there's things that people can't change because it's, it's how what life throws at you. Yep. But then there's changes that people can actually make and do themselves. They're in control of the changes that they can make. And it's those that can actually empower them. Yes. Isn't it? And it's not always a big change. It can be little incremental things, just tiny little things. But if you did, say, one little change every single day, then they would mount up. So after a month, you've done 30 little changes, mm. which will then have got you a bit further along your path. It's the small changes isn't it, that sort of makes the big difference. Yeah. So what would you say, how would you define yourself in terms of your, your competition? Do you have co- competitors doing all this sort of stuff? You must have, of you know, in do. terms <laughs> of doing leadership programs and things like that. You know, what, what's different about you? Um, It is very much the unique experience I've been through and the fact that running the rail safety campaign that I did while I was recovering, um, dealing with government, etc., gives you a brilliant insight in how to deal with bureaucracy and how to get your way um, because I was successful. So if you like, although there are other speakers, the speaker market in the UK is quite big, it's huge. And I would say there is a niche of about 10% of those speakers that are similar to me, that they've got this unique story or something's happened to them, but they've been able to turn their lives around because of it. Um, So in a way, I'm I'm lucky enough to be in quite an exclusive little club. Having said that, um, I'm not resting on my laurels, which is why those of us that can then pull out stuff that's relevant to everyday life succeed Mm. whereas I think people I know one athlete who I won't name who still talks about winning gold at the Olympics but it was unfortunately decades and decades ago ago. and people just don't relate to it anymore and it's all about them winning whereas now people very much I think want to be told okay what can you do you know here's something for you go away and try it because it will improve your life this is not about me Mm. and I think that should be the way that society works no we've seen that quite a lot with the keynote speakers that we've had at our shows you know we've we always find that we can book a fantastic speaker we think that they're really good but then nobody goes to see it because the story is about them and the audience nowadays, unfortunately, it's all about, well, what's in it for me? It's not unfortunate. It's fortunate. You think so? Yeah, I think that's the way it should be. I think pe- I, so visitors are coming along and they're thinking, what's in it for me? But the thing is, the speaker will still have something that's in it for them. It's their motivation. It's the inspiration. It's the... But then they I need to do sit this. down, deconstruct their talk and yeah. make that the priority And that's the talk. thing. The speakers aren't doing that. They think, I've got this, I've, I, you know, this is what I've achieved, so people should be coming to see me to hear that. And like you say, they need to be crafted. But then that's their ego yeah. standing in their way. The ego is saying, respect me. Yeah. Well, why should we respect you? Um, I, don't, I don't walk down the street thinking, oh, everyone should know who I am. In fact, I'm quite relieved that people don't. 
Um, but when I stand up and speak, I my ego is not there. I don't care that I was in yeah. a train crash. Um, what I'm trying to do is just say, I have learned some very unique things. Here they are, you take them, and I promise you they will make you look at life very differently. Yeah, and it goes back to what you said earlier. In order to be a successful keynote speaker, you've got to have the passion and the reasoning for doing so, not just because, because like you say, you're not going to earn a fortune from it. You've got to have it in your heart yes. and your soul to want to go and do it. So would you say that you faced any challenges along the way? Oh, Apart gosh, from the train crash, them. obviously. <laughs> but, you know, since starting this business, you know, being a keynote speaker and all that and an author, you know, have you faced any challenges and what challenges are you currently facing? Uh, one of the biggest challenges I did face was when I first started and looking at the speakers that had been on the circuit a lot longer than I had and they were making a really good living. And then because you're starting, you're earning zilch. Yeah, you're giving yeah. your talks away for free because you're doing them for your apprenticeship. Um, and that's when I thought, oh, they're so much better than I am. Also, I get very... Um, I love going to hear a speaker that is funny. I do not come across as a funny speaker. I'm more... I get excited and I'm passionate about things. But somebody who has got that comedic bit in yeah. I love listening to them and of course I was trying to compare myself with that and go oh, I can't be that good yeah so the challenge was looking at myself and saying but you don't have to be the same as them yeah what's the best you can be isn't yes it? exactly exactly so I then sat down and did a lot of work on myself and the challenges ahead well who knows because um, I'm one of these people that I do get a stick and I do poke a lot of hives to see what bees will come out <laughs> and I, I am poking a lot at the moment <laughs> so goodness knows what next year is going to be but you know what I'm really excited I don't care if I get stung <laughs> so, you, so what would you say what what's your vision then for the next few years have you got a vision just to have more fun more fun more fun more, more excitement more speaking mm -hmm. um, I want to extend because I do speak internationally but I want that to grow um, so I don't know and something new may come across I don't know so when was, are you, are you going to, are you, have you thought about writing a second book, another book? Do you know, I was asked that yesterday. Were you? I was asked, would you write a second book? Um, the answer was, at the moment I would say no, because the first one was torture. Was it? <laughs> How long did it take to write? <laughs> oh God, it took years. But that was about you and your story, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was an autobiography. So um, yeah, exposing yourself like that is really hard work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to say no, because, as I said, so I was asked yesterday, I have been asked a few months back, so maybe, maybe. the universe or the energies are telling me that I should start thinking about you. it. There's another book in but you. There's a book in everyone. Of course there is. So, talking about you, we want to get to know you a little bit better. 60 and seconds. This is the 60 seconds. This is our famous 60 seconds. At least round. you don't do the no repetition, no hesitation. No, we don't do any of that. This is, what's that called? It's called... Um, 60 minutes. Isn't it? No, 60 seconds. Something like that. So we're going to put, get marked, put 60 seconds on the clock. And you can only give us a one word answer. One so, word. Are you ready? I'm a speaker. I can't do one word. Let's start. Now, what's your favourite biscuit? Cadbury's. Favourite film? Oh, Godfather. Uh, if you were an animal, what would you be? Cat. Indoors or outdoors? Indoors. Corey, Emmerdale or EastEnders? None of them. Waitrose or Asda? Waitrose. Cats or dogs? Cats. Uh, what's your favourite time of the day? Morning. Lord Sugar or Donald Trump? 
Oh God. <laughs> you can pass. Pass. <laughs> Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. What was your worst job? Cleaner. Biggest weakness? Uh, <laughs> too hard on myself. Greatest strength? Love change. And three words to describe yourself? Excited, optimistic and enthusiastic. I would say you're enthusiastic and I and I, I would love to get the chance to come and see, hear you on a stage, see you on a stage because I think that you would be great. Um, and we're coming to the end now so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up with the final question. So a lot of people assume that um, success is, is measured financially but how would you measure success? Definitely I have always have this that I would be, I've got this vision of me lying on my deathbed for the second time. Um, but lying on my deathbed in old age and looking back at my life and thinking boy that was fun and I made a difference. As long as I can do those two things then I would be happy. And I do actually bring that vision to mind at least once every six months. And if I'm not on track to achieve it then I change something. Well hopefully you'll, you'll get there and I'm sure you will. So unfortunately we've, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you to my guest Pam. Thank you Matthew. Join us again soon when we'll be exposing more insights into the life and business of our next guest. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.